You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Listen, the truth of the matter is, God's people do regress. Abraham's sin is huge here. Think about what's involved. It's a cowardly deed. He risks his wife's honor. He fails to trust God and weakens the credibility of God to save. The conclusion here is plain to see. The people with whom God works are not of themselves better than anyone else. Christians like to say that they're sinners saved by grace, and yet too many times they're accused of being holier than thou and judgmental towards others. The problem with Christians, which is the same problem non-Christians have, is that they are all sinners, and although the Christian has the power of God working in them, they still mess up. And Pastor Mike's teaching today will show a time where the father of the faith, Abraham, played with the truth and caused a big problem for his wife and himself. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 20 as he begins his message, An Old Sin Repeated. what this message is about, that old sin that may lie dormant in any of us for a while, but then pops up when inflamed by circumstances and temptation, comes out of left field and bites us and is devastating to our walk and our relationship with the Lord. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about and how to overcome that kind of an old sin. So, Let's go ahead and read that text of scripture, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Does that sound familiar to any of you? And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, 
for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And so Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all of his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. And every place, wherever we go, save me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. And so Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we study your word. God, as we treat this chapter here in the book of Genesis, God, may we learn all of the wonderful lessons that are contained within it. And may it serve, Lord, to draw us closer to you, to help us to become the kinds of people that you want us to become. And so, Lord, tailor this message to meet specific needs. Encourage those who need to be encouraged, strengthen those who need to be strengthened, challenge those who need to be challenged, flat-out rebuke those who need to be rebuked. Lord, just work a work in the hearts and lives of your people. Now, Lord, just settle our hearts. Help us to feel comfortable and at ease and at home here in this place, God, as we just sit at your feet and learn of you. Now, Lord, let my words be your words. God, we thank you again for providing this opportunity. Bless now, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, an old sin repeated. Okay, so what we have before us here, if you think about it, is really a sorrowful story of the man of God, Abraham and his failure to trust God. Not like past times, there's no victory that is on Abraham's part. Like, for example, remember he chased down the confederation of those five kings that came against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah restored all of the goods that had been taken by them, took Lot, his nephew, back out of their hands, and restored him as well and his family. But there's no victory here. There's no triumph. Really, it's just an embarrassing situation for Abraham. Think about it. Here he is being taken to task by a pagan king rather than being a powerful influence and witness for God. The truth of the matter is he's getting spanked (laughs) 
by this pagan king. Okay, so how did this whole thing happen? How did this whole thing unfold? Well, backing up a bit, particularly for the sake of those who have joined us for the first time, if you're here for the first time, by the way, or visiting, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us. If there's anything we could do while you're here in our city to help you, please let us know. Make sure that you get that gift on your way out at the hospitality counter. I think there are some free Starbucks coffee cards involved in those gifts, so it's a pretty good gift. So please make sure you visit with Jackie on your way out. If you have any questions about the church, if you live here in the city or in one of the surrounding boroughs and just need some more information about who we are or what we believe, you can ask all of those questions there at that hospitality counter. We'll join you as soon as we can and try to answer those questions for you. So anyway, for the sake of those who haven't been around for the last couple of weeks or have joined us for the first time, backing up a bit, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is depicted for us and recorded in chapter 19, that is the previous chapter, Abraham obviously didn't want to live in the hill country looking down on those cities that God had just turned into toast. They also served as a sad reminder of his nephew Lot's end. So he moved south to Gerar, which was on the border of the country that later became the land of the Philistines, where a powerful king whose name was Abimelech lived. And Abraham feared that Abimelech or one of his men might kill him for Sarah's sake. You know, the idea there was to get close to her, to take her as their own. You know, when we were first introduced to Sarah early on in our series here in the book of Genesis, I had suggested to you that Sarah was the original it girl. And uh, if there was such a thing as People Magazine or some of these other periodicals, her face would have been plastered on it. And she was just a looker. And so I guess Abraham had some kind of a right to feel as if wherever they went, wherever they traveled, to get next to her, they would kill him. And so Abraham did what he did on an earlier occasion and put the word out that she was his sister, which, by the way, was only a half-truth. When he's offering his explanation to this king Abimelech, notice there in verse 12, of our text here in our chapter. He says, but indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So the truth of the matter is they had the same father, but not the same mother. So, but it's nevertheless, it's still a half-truth. This wasn't unusual back then within that culture early on in the history of mankind. They would intermarry within uh, families. So anyway... In spite of this, all of this, if you think about it, even in the explanation, this was only a green light for Abimelech to take her, which in fact he did. Well, in spite of this, God protected Sarah. And he did it in a variety of different and several ways. And isn't it amazing, when we choose to make the wrong choice and decision, when because we've allowed our hearts to be gripped by fear and we no longer place our trust in God, 
and we really mess things up royally because of the wrong choices that we made, isn't it wonderful to know that God still intervenes on behalf of his kids? Isn't that an amazing truth about God? More than anything else, this is not a history lesson. And I'm not so much even concerned about Abraham as I am about seeing God for who he really is. And isn't that the very reason why we've come into this place, to know him, uh, to learn of his character? And as we do, isn't it true we'll just fall more deeply in love with him? Which the fruit and the result of that will be, we'll want to stay close to him. Don't you want to stay close to the people that you love the most, or the people that love you the most, rather? Isn't that true? And so it is in our relationship with God. So we're more concerned about the character and the nature of God than anything else. So anyway, in spite of this, his sin, God protected Sarah. And he did it in a variety and several ways. Notice, first of all, he afflicted the king with some kind of a sickness so he wouldn't go near Sarah. And we're told exactly that there in verse 17. In other words, he had become so ill, he wasn't interested in having any kind of a sexual relationship with this woman because of his condition. So that was just simply one of the ways that God intervened on behalf of Sarah. And then secondly, he made it temporarily impossible for the women in his household to have children. And we're told exactly that in verse 18 of this chapter. And then lastly, notice, and this probably really got his attention, God threatened Abimelech's life, as is recorded for us there in verse 3. And so Abimelech, when confronted by God, pleads his innocence. I didn't know that. He lied. She lied. They told me that they were brother and sister. And notice Abimelech thus puts the blame upon Abraham, as again we're told there in verse 5. And then in verse 6, God replies to tell Abimelech in a dream, verse 6, he was aware of all of the circumstances, and that was why he kept the king from sinning. But now, he gives him very strict orders, he must return Sarah to Abraham and do it at once. Well, the king did. But now, notice, he's given it to Abraham. He's taken out to the proverbial woodshed for that spanking, as is recorded first there in verses 9 and 10. So in this episode, it's the pagan king who acts uprightly rather than the man of God. And then to close things out, notice the king offers to compensate Abraham to cover any damages that he may have suffered. Notice he offers them, in verses 14 through 16, flocks and servants, 1,000 pieces of silver, and the freedom to choose anywhere they would like to dwell in the land in which he was king. Now, I believe there are a couple of reasons why this account is recorded for us at this point. And you know what? When you read the scriptures, you ought to always ask yourself certain questions. Exactly why is this record recorded for us at this juncture in God's dealing with Abraham? God could have just skipped over this altogether, and it didn't need to be a part of the narrative. 
So why was it? Think about this. This is just one of the ways when you read the word, stop for a second and pause and ask yourself a question. Why is this here? Why is this record placed here at this particular juncture in the life of this man, Abraham? We've already seen his failure, and then we've seen his successes, and he's progressively getting more successive in his walk in a relationship with the Lord. So why all of a sudden go back and draw our attention to Abraham's failure? Good question. Well, I think God deliberately puts this particular chapter alongside of what previously transpired, chapter 19, and that would be the record of Lot's sad incident involving his daughters, which ended there in chapter 19. Remember the incestuous relationship that they had with their dad. They got him drunk. And each one of the daughters went into Lot, and Lot impregnated both of his daughters. So why was that? Why are they alongside of one another? Well, think about this. Here's a plausible explanation. Isn't it true when we are talking about the paths of obedience and disobedience, now I'm, I'm bringing this back on you, and I'm bringing this back on me. For example, when we see someone fall, or we see or, or ourselves being very successful, being victorious over sin. But then again, maybe through the grapevine, we hear of one of our brothers and sisters falling, and we become aware of some secret sin that has been exposed in the life of another person. Isn't it true when we are talking about the paths of obedience and disobedience, we tend to get carried away and overstate our case. We become either critical or judgmental, or on the other hand, self-righteous. Think about that, which really shouldn't be the case if you think about it. But the Bible is too honest for that. It shows the followers of God in their weak moments. Listen, the truth of the matter is, God's people do regress. Abraham's sin is huge here. Think about what's involved. It's a cowardly deed. He risks his wife's honor. He fails to trust God and weakens the credibility of God to save. The conclusion here is plain to see. The people with whom God works are not of themselves better than anyone else. What we become, praise the Lord, we become in spite of our natural selves. Oh, how wonderful is the marvelous working power of the grace of God. Listen, the truth of the matter is we're no better than anyone else. It's God and his work in our lives that allow us to bear fruit, bearing fruit in the wilderness of human nature. Once faith is admitted, as the root principle of character. All we need to do is just embrace Christ and believe in him, place our faith in him, and then God begins to do this work in and through us. Isn't it an amazing thing? And he takes all of the frailty and flaws in our character and our personality and our sins, and he transforms us and he changes us into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's called the grace of God. And he does it for all of us. That is, anyone who makes that decision for Christ, who's born again of the Spirit of God. 
So listen, all the people of God had inconsistencies. Guys like David, remember his folly, his falling into the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, which led to the murder of her husband Uriah. How about Peter denying the Lord three times after he had been taken by the Roman soldiers and stood before Pilate and then was about to be crucified? And so it was with Abraham. All the people of God have inconsistencies. So don't get so self-righteous about yourself. If any of us are walking in victory, the only way that we can explain it is by putting God behind us. It's God's work in us. It's God's work through us. And those inconsistencies are not the result of God's work, but in spite of it. They indicate the helplessness of our own human nature. So that's the first thing that I wanted you to take away from our study. Now, there's also something else significant about Abraham's sin. And that is, it is an old sin repeated, which, of course, is the title of this message. Remember when Abraham, we're going back now to chapter 12, remember when Abraham and Sarah went down to Egypt during the time that there was a famine in the land of Canaan. Remember, God was leading Abraham towards the land of promise, towards the land of Canaan. And finally, they arrive at that destination only to find that there's a famine in the land. And so Abraham starts rationalizing this whole thing, and he thought it best rather than to continue to trust God and stay on his path. God would have more than amply provided for Abraham if he would have just stayed the course there in the land of Canaan. But he thought it best, as so often as we do when we're faced with some kind of a difficulty, if we could see all the way down the road and around the corner and what's waiting for us, we're good. We're good to go. But when there's a question mark down that road, we can only see so far down the road, but we can't see around the corner, then we take things back out of the hands of God and we begin to make our own choices and decisions. Well, it was a bad choice. And so anyway... Because of the famine in the land, Abraham goes down to Egypt. And so picking up in the story, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 in verses 11 and 13. Let's just read it uh, once again. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.